Hello, Rich Bolas here. A big thank you for downloading the Dad Mindset Podcast, where we explore different perspectives on fatherhood with the aim of becoming less bad at being a dad. Now, if you've ever struggled to encourage your child to eat more vegetables at dinner time, you're going to love this. In this episode, I interview Wendy Bloom, a mum of two from Sydney, who is the author of the Veggie Smuggler series of cookbooks, which are packed with recipes designed to sneak healthy ingredients into tasty family meals. Wendy explains her approach to mealtimes, the fundamentals to smuggling veggies, as well as highlighting her top three recipes of all time. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Wendy Bloom. Wendy Bloom, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Rich. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's uh, something that I've been wanting to ask you for some time now about uh, what you've done with veggie smugglers, because it's definitely a, a key time for Sarah and myself uh, with our younger kids. So can you tell us a bit about uh, veggie smugglers and the project you've been running for a number of years? Yeah, it's been going for about um, 10 years, actually. And um, I started it when um, my daughter was young and it was um, all the recipes that I concocted and put together to try and um, find ways of getting her to eat healthy food and to sneak all the veggies and everything into meals that she would otherwise reject. If I just put a bunch of broccoli on her plate, you know, she wasn't very open to that. But if I combined it into something delicious and a nice meal, I had far more chance of success of her eating it. So it was just a sort of creative outlet for me. Uh, and I always sort of thought it would be a nice resource and something helpful for other parents because it seems to be a really common issue amongst families trying to get the kids to eat their veggies. Yeah. What, what would have been the typical things that um, she would have eaten initially? Um, so she always liked fruit. So that was good. Um, and then she liked dairy. So she liked cheese. Uh, and that was about it. <laughs> so, and like a lot of kids, she would eat a little bit of pasta, but she wasn't at all adventurous with veggies, um, didn't like meat, just wasn't an adventurous eater and not a big eater either. So just every meal was kind of problematic. She definitely wouldn't eat anything I wanted to cook for me <laughs> to have for dinner. <laughs> so did you end up, um, was there a stage where you were having to cook two or three meals or... Yeah, well, we started heading down that avenue because you do start into that when, you know, you've got all the veggie um, mash and all that type of thing Yeah, um, that you're doing for the toddlers separately. And then that was continuing on into preschool at times. And, I, you know, I just wasn't interested in that. I just wanted to cook one thing and have everyone eat the same thing. So, um, yeah, that was another motivation in, in coming up with some of the recipes that I did. Yeah, and where did yeah. you where did you actually start? Um, like, as in what recipes did yeah. I start? With? Was oh. it sort of just a bunch of experimentation that you did? Yeah, look, heaps of experimentation because I was just trying to come up with anything that would be enticing for her. And um, I guess you know you start off with a lot of the standard ones, so there was a bit of bolognese and um, things. You know, meals that were tasty enough for adults but that she would maybe have a few bites of um, other things. But then there was a lot of food that's definitely family-type cooking that was very different to the food we used to eat when we were a couple, for sure. So there are some concessions we have to make. But things for her that worked out quite well at the start were um, a lot of, like, mash. We'd, like, have bikini and I'd have... Um, 
you know, all sorts of stuff in mash and I'd make it a nice cheesy mash so she'd eat that. So we started off with some stuff that was really just stepping out of that toddler food territory but just inching her into adult eating. So it was very gradual and it does take a bit of time sometimes. Yeah. And at what stage did you decide to write the first book? Um, I used to share my recipes. There was another woman at where I worked and um, she was having the same problems I was and I would share all my recipes with her and she, we were actually working at a magazine company and she was like, you should publish a book, you know, because I had so many and I was just giving her all these recipes and I, and I was finding that other people were finding them successful. And I just sort of, you know, working in publishing, it did sort of start putting around in my head that it might be fun to compile them into something. Because at the time, I just wasn't able to find a resource that w- would help me in quite the way I wanted. There was nothing on the market back then. Um, because a lot of the kids' eating books were written by nutritionists. So they were very healthy, um, very worthy, but completely impractical. Like they were just not meals my children were going to eat. Um, or then there was sort of the Women's Weekly style books at the time where you um, cooked with your children, but it tended to be pretty unhealthy. So the healthiest thing would be pizza, for instance, or there was a lot of get the kids in to help you cook cupcakes or that type of food. There wasn't really any practical recipes in the middle which was going to get the kids eating every night um but sort of meet my health requirements but interesting enough for them to enjoy so there was a real gap in the market that I could see so I sort of hopped in there and and thought a book might be a good idea yeah and what was it like I mean sort of going through the whole process the first time round was it what you expected it to be obviously because you were in publishing at the time or was it you know harder than you expected easier than you expected um, I think I just was blindly optimistic um, <laughs> because I work in the design. <laughs> I was in the design side of things, so um, I just I my intention was to find a publisher, and I started I put all the recipes together. I because I can't help myself because I'm in design. I sort of started laying it out, and I picked the book up off the shelf and thought, look, if I was going to have my book published, I would want it to be this size and this thick. And I started designing it all up. And at that point, I just had the recipes and the design. And then I thought, oh, I'll just, I wasn't have, having any luck pitching the idea. And I thought, I'll just buy a camera, just a cheap camera and see, because I reckon I could have a bash at photographing them. So I did all that. And then it just sort of got further and further along in the production process. And I, I couldn't get any interest from publishers because at the time you needed to be well known or sort of celebrity to get a book published, which is actually still pretty true. And um, like in this sort of cookbook sector. And um, so the further and further I went along, and then all of a sudden I got to a point where I realized that I didn't need the publisher. I nearly had a completed <laughs> book yep. done. And I, my girlfriend edited it for me. and. Um, and then the bit of it, I suppose, that was the bigger challenge was finding a printer. And then, um, I mean, all books pretty much in Australia are printed overseas these days. So I had to find an uh, overseas printer and then work out how do you ship books in and set up e-commerce and, and do all that side. That was all new. But that yeah. was all really enjoyable. So it was all sort of an interesting 
learning curve. And sort of before I knew it, like I sort of inched forward and then before I knew it, I had a business. That's so that fantastic. was pretty fun. And, and to let everyone know, I mean, it just went nuts, didn't it? Yeah, it was really popular. Like, um, it started in 2000 and, uh, 2010, I think I published the first book. And that's had three print runs, so it sold out three times. And then I've done two other books since then, and I've also done about eight e-books. And the um, Facebook page, when I was working on it, more than I do now, which obviously is not much now. Um, it got up to just around a hundred thousand people following the Facebook page, and yeah, it was really popular and it had a really good following, and it was a really um, fun project to be working on. Yeah, I can imagine, and you must have had wonderful feedback from the followers too. I mean, some of the comments are just <laughs> like loving what you're doing. Yeah, look, it it really did help. The books really did or do help a lot of people. And um, and so the recipes and the blog, the books, of course, all the hard copy books sold out a little while ago. Um, but the recipes and everything is still all available online. And I still get really kind feedback from people. So um, it's tricky. You know, the food space is very tricky. People are very passionate around food. Um, so... Around the same time, a few years after I started, got the no sugar movement became very popular, and which I don't quite adhere to. So I used to cook a bit of flack sometimes from people for that. <laughs> but generally, it's all just been a really happy, good experience. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned earlier that obviously with your kids getting older now, I mean, what age are they? Uh, so my daughter turns 15 next week and so she was obviously about two when I started on the veggie smugglers journey and uh, my son is 12 and a half so they're both in high school and very independent yeah <laughs> now uh, and you mentioned that yeah. obviously um, as they get older they get to the point where they become more autonomous around their food and and so is that a big part of why you yeah. decided to sort of you know sort of wind down veggie smugglers um, I think it does get to a point. I think there's a real need for veggie smugglers recipes and concepts when, I mean, the, the majority of parents who come, used to come to me really just desperate had toddlers. And it's sort of that, all of a sudden that shift between 18 months and two and a half where kids start saying no <laughs> and you can't just feed them anything and they stop being good eaters and it becomes a really problematic and very stressful situation for people. And so there's a real need to tackle food at that point and then as they're preschoolers and in early primary and then as they get older, there's less you can do about it. You know, for instance, my kids are independent going to and from school now. So if they want to go to McDonald's, there's absolutely nothing I can do to stop that. So the, the work around food and kids I think really does need to happen before they're 10 and then after that point, hopefully you've taught them and you've educated them and they make good choices yeah so i think for me personally i've just for me personally that um my interest in the business did fade as my kids requirements changed um and i did sort of shift my focus at that point yeah gotcha but i mean along the way you picked up so many um, so many friends, I guess, in the in the tribe that were that found veggie smugglers so valuable and helped so many families. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Like I used to get such lovely feedback from, and I still do get lovely feedback from people. 
And as I wound the business down and became a bit more scarce online, people would be really upset that I wasn't posting (laughs) recipes as much. So for quite a while, I did continue on. There's still, every now and again, I still go on and if I've got something really delicious, I'll post it on the Facebook page still. And um, yeah, I always get a really happy response from people to hear from me because I am a bit elusive (laughs) these days. (laughs) Now, I've I've got to know, Wendy, like what's the lowdown? What Hmm. would be your advice to someone that has a toddler right now and is struggling mm-hmm. to get food into them. What are the what are the first principles that you would pass on? I would tell them to relax because <laughs> that's <laughs> like the biggest problem is that um, meal times get really fraught. They can be really problematic because if you've just gone to quite a lot of effort to prepare something, you're probably sleep deprived. Maybe you've got a little baby as well. Um, it can just become a really tense battleground type of situation so you immediately do need to just take a step back and have a breather and really assess the fact that um, toddlers don't need to eat as much as you probably think they do need to eat that's the first thing their appetite I mean they're so busy off doing other things that their appetites do often fall at that point Um, and so what they might have eaten as a baby um, you might have shoved food into them as a baby but toddlers just don't need that So you can relax a little bit, um, but you therefore want all the food that is going into them to be as healthy as possible. Um, So there are then sort of ideas around, so there's behaviour around mealtime, but then there's also principles you can follow in the kitchen about how you approach a meal and how you cook a meal and um, that will help you. So any food that does go in is going to be nutritious and, and worthwhile. Yep. Okay, so the, yeah. what sort of behaviour around mealtime uh, would you suggest? Any any hacks there or um, approaches? I, I look, I, consistency for sure and pretty firm boundaries around food. Um, I, people are quite shocked. Though, this sounds so cruel, but um, don't be afraid of making your kids hungry. <laughs> so, <laughs> like if your kids are not hungry at dinner time, stop giving them an afternoon snack you know, is one way which seems cruel, but actually it can be, it means that they come to dinner time quite enthusiastic. Um, if you've got really small toddlers, you might also want to bring dinner time forward a little bit so they're not too tired. So if, you know, they want to be eating maybe by even 4.30 or 5 o'clock um, and you might have a little more chance of getting healthier food into them at that point, you definitely want to avoid filling them up on junk during the day. So, and also no junk generally because they'll hold out for the junk. They'll skip the healthy food if they know that if they wait long enough, they'll, dad will sneak them, you know, something else. So <laughs> you have to be really firm as a family. And because um, I used to get quite a lot of people who come to me and say, oh, my child will only eat Nutella sandwiches. And I'd say, well, stop feeding them Nutella sandwiches <laughs> and eventually they'll get hungry enough and need to try something else. Yeah, uh, like even stop buying Nutella. <laughs> it's not in the house. Mm. Got it, okay. Yeah, that's right. And, and so, so there is a tough love element. Yeah, so um, uh, what about actually at the table as well? Any thoughts um, around that? I mean, would you always eat as a family, like everyone eat the same then? It's not practical, I think, when they're toddlers and if you're feeding them earlier for the majority of people to eat 
as a family. I mean, that's ideal, isn't it? So if you can try and do that a couple of nights a week, that's great. But I know in our situation, the kids were already in bed most of the time before Dad got home. So um, but I would have the same consistent routine with them. Sometimes I would eat with them, um, but generally it was the two of them. And we had our rituals around it, you know, wash your hands, come to the table, dinner time, for the little kids they might get their bib on, all those kind of behaviours that lead them to understand that it's food. Yeah. Um, and then I, I would serve them, and I always had a two-bite rule at dinner time, so I would insist that they had two bites of something, and they couldn't. Um, leave the table or finish until they did. Um, so especially if you're trying something new with them, you know, kids' palates do often they do often need to try something quite a few times before they'll accept it. Yeah. So, but the two bite rule, the principle of that is that the first bite of anything you might be unfamiliar and unwelcome to a, a little child, but then the second bite is often when they'll genuinely taste something. And so if they've had two really good bites of something and they still don't like it, um, that's their part of the deal, that they will do that. And that's the agreement you kind of and the habit you insist on at the dinner table. And then if they really genuinely don't like it, and you know your kid well enough to know if they're mucking around or if they genuinely don't like it, yeah. um, quite often I would give them a banana or something else and we'd go back the next night to a meal that I know they would like so that, you know, they're not missing out on dinner every night. But, um, and you know, like a banana is nutritious or a bit of yogurt or something. Depends. You have to read each night a bit differently. This is, I feel like this is all sounding really mean, Rich, but in practice <laughs> it actually does kind of work. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. I'm writing it all down. <laughs> So it's just more that habit around food and trying new foods and, and breaking the cycle of toddlers who won't eat anything they don't recognize. Yep. Exposing them to mm. lots of different stuff. Yeah. Like the main thing you're trying to avoid is having a child who says, I don't eat that. Or, you know, because you, I mean, we've all had kids come over for a play date and you'll be making something and they'll go, oh, I, don't, I don't eat mushrooms or I don't eat this. And they've got that, they've made that decision. Yeah. And what you're trying to do is keep the food and the variety up in the household so that your kids aren't sure if they eat it. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you put something down in front of them and they, and they just take it at face value and then they'll try it and then two bites, hopefully they go, oh, that's, that's tasty and I'll eat a bit more of it. So that's, you know, what I was always trying to achieve. And that's still the case with my kids now that they will – sit down and, and just always go, oh, okay, and try whatever's there. Yeah. Well, what would you have done in that situation if a friend came over for a play date and they said, oh, I don't eat mushrooms? What what would you generally have done or said? Would you Did you have an approach for that or um, would you just sidestep it? I'm more patient with other people's children because I know they haven't been through the same training mine have. Um, but quite often, I mean, it doesn't really impact what I'm cooking. So if I've got a friend, a kid's friend coming over, maybe I make nachos for dinner and it probably has mushrooms in it and the kid doesn't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they eat it anyway. It's delicious. <laughs> and, um, you know, I don't say anything. I just don't worry about it. It depends on the child and how well I know them. Just but, chop finer. Um, then the next time. Yeah, and it's the same, like, with your own kids. So, like, there's a different approach for toddlers and for older children. Like, once the kids are bigger, 
and they're eating all sorts of meals. You can say, they'll go, what's this? And you go, you know, nachos. And they'll go, mm, and they'll eat it. And they'll go, oh, yum, and they'll eat it all. And it, then it's really important to also then reiterate when they're older what they have eaten. So you can go, oh, did you like that? So that had carrots mushrooms, and you yeah. list everything they've just eaten. Yeah. So it's partly education. So then you don't end up with a child who says, I don't eat mushrooms because actually they know they do. Yeah. So if it's, a, if it's a little friend coming over and they say something to me the next time, I'll go, well, last time you said you didn't eat mushrooms, but then you ate them. So I and think then, it's good then to do, The bomb them. drops so, are like, what? <laughs> yeah. They go, yeah. So, so they need to understand that it's not sort of so black and white sometimes and what they do and don't like. Yeah. And what what was the meal that you just mentioned then? Did you say nachos? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, it's still my daughter's favorite. So yeah. <laughs> it's got so many veggies in it. Mm. And and like, what would that be then? Can you break it down for us? Because you mentioned a whole bunch of vegetables that you'd put in that. Um. Okay, so, well, I mixed it up a little bit, but like it's always got onion in it. So everyone forgets that onion is a vegetable and <laughs> it's full of all sorts of <laughs> yeah. stuff. So, and then I always, I do quite a lot of mint dishes, but I'll pad them out. So, for instance, if I'm doing a lamb dish, you can put a whole eggplant in and kids don't even notice it's in there. Because yeah. And you, you said, and you, you mentioned you peel it as well. Uh, you can do. So eggplant, I will often sort of about half peel it. Otherwise, you get a lot of that thick black skin in, which can be yeah. tricky. And um, when you start veggie smuggling with a child, you, you make more allowances at the start. So, for instance, if you're going to make a mash and you want to put a zucchini in it, the first time you do it, peel the green skin off the zucchini which obviously you don't want to continue doing that for too long because it's really nutritious and it's sort of full of fibre and everything. But the first time you do it, to give yourself the best chance of success, peel the skin, grate it in, and then the kids will eat it. And then if they've liked that and accepted that, next time maybe you half peel it and just sort of step it up a little bit. And yeah. same with veggies in like a nachos with carrots in it, lots of carrot in it and lots of mushrooms in it. The first time you might want to grate the carrot, pulse the mushrooms a bit in a food processor or whatever. So it's really fine. Basically, it has to be fine enough the kids can't pick it out with their fingers or can't identify it. <laughs> yeah. And um, <laughs> as you go along, you know, you can do less and less to hide stuff. So I rarely grate anything now unless I want that for the texture of the recipe. You know, we, like once kids get used to stuff, you can do less and less. But then, you know, you might do something and you're rushing and you might have big chunks of zucchini and something and the kids, like, crack it about it. <laughs> and then so next time you go back to chopping it a bit more finely or grating it. Yeah, so gotcha. You do have to work with uh, your child. What What would be your, your implements of choice as well? Like, did you have, like, a go-to, like, yep, the grater is my number one tool and then the, the food blender or pulser? Yeah, like I really think it's a shame the federal government doesn't actually issue every family with a pack of decent kitchen utensils. <laughs> like if they were serious about getting people to eat better, they would. When when you have a baby, they would give you a good chopping board, a proper kitchen knife, a really good peeler, like not one of those one dollar ones that you that barely work, but like a ten dollar peeler. Um, the microplane graters are really good because they're easy to clean up. 
And then the other thing that I just couldn't do without is I've got like a mini food processor that I use and because you can put it on the pulse function and it just chops everything for you super quickly. Yeah. So, um, and it's sure, like it's not restaurant texture food at the end of the day, but it doesn't matter because you're cooking yeah. your family for your family. So I find those are really key. And like a good kitchen knife is really important. And I mean, there's so many videos online where you can learn how to get some basic knife skills and just enough that you're not going to chop your finger off yeah. and that you're going to make your kitchen prep really easy. Gotcha. Okay, great. Now, the yeah. um, the you mentioned a good peeler. Like, is there one in particular? I, I didn't catch a name there. Or, or uh, like, is it just about paying a no, certain price? I don't, you can tell. Yeah, I think just, yeah, you can just tell. Like, a really good solid one. Those little flimsy ones just don't do the job. So you, you need something that's nice and sturdy and sharp. Yep. And and the microplane grater, is that, I'm not actually, I'm not aware of what that is. Is that one that just has a guard so you don't grate your fingers or? Oh, no. You know, I did grate my my knuckle the other day, actually. So you do have to be careful. Gotcha. Okay, right. (laughs) Yeah. And so, no, they're just a flat. It's just like the side of a grater with a handle. And so you can just, you know, they're very, they're sharp, obviously, very simple to use. You do have to be careful using them. But then the joy of it is that they're really easy to clean up afterwards because, you know, I'm not a big fan of a massive kitchen cleanup. Yeah, so, I don't think um, anyone is. <laughs> makes life no, I mean, yeah, who likes that? No yeah. And did you find a particular food presser <laughs> that worked really well, like that was easy to clean and so on? Um, you know, I had a brawn for years and that was fantastic and it died uh, last year and I bought a cheaper one to replace it and it has just died. So I think as as good a one as you can afford. Yeah, got it. Okay, it makes sense. I think sense. it's a good investment. Yeah, pay cheap, yeah. cost dear. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, <brilliant>. Okay, so um, what were the standout meals that you think – do you have like the top three meals that were the most popular or had the highest success rate mm-hmm. across the board? Do do any three stand oh. out? Um, yeah, so the one that would stand out as the most popular meal, um, and I know actually from uh, my web stats and web traffic, um, chicken sausage rolls, ASMH. So it's like chicken mince, lentils, mushrooms, all sorts of stuff in with some nice seasoning. Um, in puff pastry and it's a really good one for toddlers because you know they can self-feed and um, yeah so, and it's just delicious they're really tasty so that definitely is one yeah and, and with, um, with, just with that one Wendy because that was the one of the ones that I picked out because yeah. um, and the thing yeah. I liked about it was the way you write about how you wrap it in individual um, sort of lengths of like three or four yeah, in each one, but then you put them in the freezer. And so you've got like a batch yeah. of 10 lots of four sausage rolls that you whip out just one stick, yeah. chop it in four and put it in the, in the in the oven for 25 minutes. It sounded great. Yeah, it was a real lifesaver recipe for when I went back to work. I was working with, you know, little children and you could just pull one out in the morning, have it thawing and then cook for them in the evening and you don't actually have to do any cooking. It's all ready to go. Um, so yeah, they, they were by far, I think my most popular and easy to use and successful recipe. And it's really satisfying to watch your child sit there and be eating lentils and mushrooms. Yeah. In a sausage roll. (laughs) 
in a sausage roll. Yeah. Yeah, so that was always popular. Yeah. Um, let me think about what the other couple would be. I mean, look, my husband makes this bolognese sauce, which is just incredible. I know everyone often will cram veggies into their bolognese, and I have to absolutely agree that it is a brilliant way to do it. So that's a good one. Um, nachos, as I said, is a good one for when the kids are getting older, um, all sorts. Like I'm trying to think, probably lasagna, cannelloni. There's so many ways of, yeah, lots of really delicious, yummy ways to get them eating lots of really good stuff. Yeah. And are there any particular mm. vegetables that really lend themselves to be smuggled into food? Like we've, we've, you've talked uh, about carrots, mushrooms, yeah. and uh, zucchini so far, uh, and eggplant. Yeah, eggplant. Um, pretty much anything. Like I think it's probably easier to talk about the ones you can't smuggle <laughs> in, like Brussels sprouts. I've never found a way to get any. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> you just got to yeah, hit that one head I, on. No, and that's fine. Like not every family has to eat every single vegetable. But um, it's really, once you start working on it, it's quite surprising. Like I'll, I'll get um, lots of eggplant, mushroom, zucchini, carrot, corn, um, tomato, even spinach, a lot of English spinach, and um, you just need to blitz it up first yeah. and then um, you can meld that through into things. It's more the process of the cooking, so um, giving everything time to sort of um, – sort of cook in together and marry up and so it all becomes like a, an inseparable meal. Yeah. Um, you know, once the kids are older, you can move into things where the vegetables are more separate and recognisable, like stir fries and curries, but you're probably not going to have as much success with them while the kids are young. Yeah. So. And so you said like yeah. having to um, cook things a bit longer, is that the case? Or would it be a case of leaving things to sit, mix together, that sort of thing? What would be the, the general sort of rule of thumb there? Well, it can be a variety of things. I, I mean, um, another one that was always really popular or a couple of ones that were popular for my kids when they were younger is they made these salmon pikelets a lot. And um, which is sort of a regular sort of pikelet process, but they're savoury, and you put um, salmon and blitzed up veggies in with them. Um, so in that instance, you know you, you're just presenting them with a pikelet, but it's full of stuff. Or um, so that's not long cooking; that's quite quick. Yeah. And another one is to do make a lot of individual meatloaves. So um, just in a muffin tray, but you mix all the veggies in with the mince and you bind it up with an egg and a bit of breadcrumbs and, and bake them. So, and, I mean, they're another good one because they don't take long. Um, and in the same vein, meatballs are really good. So I oven bake my meatballs just because turning all the meatballs over in a frying pan is too annoying. So And you get still get a delicious meatball just if you roll the meatballs up, put them on a baking tray and bake them, just turn them over once half an hour of cooking and you've got, you know, so many combinations of things. And yeah. you can get a lot of nice flavourings in those as well. I yeah. don't do nice Chinese meatballs and that type of thing so that they're tasty enough for adults as well. Yeah, I think one of my favourites was the tandoori lamb meatballs with kale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. That's a perfect example. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm definitely trying that one with the yeah. kids. Yeah, because, I mean, you don't want to be – cooking everything to a pulp just because you want to keep the nutrition there as well. Um, 
But yeah, so you just sort of do the minimum you have to do to make it edible and delicious. Yeah. And what would be your approach? Would you tend to do a big cook up on one particular day of the week, like maybe Sunday uh, and freeze a bunch of stuff? Yeah. I I mean, I had the cookbook in sections so that it was in sections for those days when you're home and you can prep everything in the morning and then you chuck it together quickly in the evening when things are generally a bit more tense and difficult with the kids. Or there are meals you can make the night before and then you eat them after you get home from work the next day. Or there's freezer meals. Um, so a variety. I mean, it really depends on a family's schedule and, and what works for them. Yeah. At the moment now I'm back sort of working four days a week. So today's my day off. So I have actually already made something that will be for tomorrow night's dinner. Oh, gotcha. So just whatever works for a family. Yeah. And would what would be your preference of produce? Would you would you actually tend to have a lot of frozen veg or would you tend to work from fresh or tinned? What what would you suggest? Uh, I tend to work from fresh. Um with the exception of say peas, which are really good frozen and actually frozen spinach is pretty good too. Um and um but I use fresh as much as I can. Yeah. For sure. And plus that's a good way of, like, if you've got the kids with you shopping, that's a really good thing to get them onto, you know, they I used to send them out to, you know, you get me a zucchini, you get me a red capsicum type thing. And so it helps them with their education around food as well. Yeah. I like mm. it. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, lots of uh, ideas there. So we, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Wendy, was if you – were to start again with your veggie mm-hmm. smuggling journey, what advice would you give yourself yeah. starting afresh apart from relax? Um, I think I would just have a real knowledge of how worthwhile it is because it's not a, an entirely smooth journey. Like if you've got a really picky toddler, then you're still going to have fraught meals for every now and again you know, for quite a while. And I just sort of had an innate sense that it was something that was really worth doing and pursuing. And I would just confirm to me back then that it definitely is because my daughter now as a teenager is still pretty fussy but has a really good knowledge and understanding of food and healthy eating. And I can absolutely see, like she will eat everything now that might be a small portion but she'll still, you know, happily tuck into everything. And if I hadn't have done that, she would have been like other kids who I know and see who are still really fussy as teenagers and now will only eat, you know, a few foods, very um, small, limited range of foods, and um, but all teenagers like junk food. So I, I think it's just so worthwhile um, doing it when they're young and pursuing it and really giving it priority because it it just sets them up for a whole life of healthy eating and healthy choices and it's so important so yeah that's what I would tell myself gotcha that's brilliant now would Mm. you have any advice for yourself regarding setting up a business from home as well because that was a big learning curve for you as well wasn't it yeah it was huge I mean it, it had pitfalls and good things I think um, it's really important. It's interesting. A lot of businesses started up around the same time as me and um, some have remained, but not many. I think 
it tends to be a real phase, particularly if you're providing a service that's around children and parenting. Um, as your children grow, your priorities do change. So I think if someone's setting up a business that's based around parenting, you do definitely want to be looking forward for ways that you can expand, ex- extend the business's life. Um, for me, once the kids got older and I wasn't needing to cook those specific meals anymore, the incentives kind of died a little bit to create new recipes because I didn't need to smuggle the veggies anymore. Yeah, you, um, you've done your so job too well. Of, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I sort of worked myself out of the job. So <laughs> I, I would definitely, yeah, I'd look at ways of just, I suppose, either just viewing it as a good, really good short term business that you can do that's flexible and works around your family commitments, which was the case for me. Um, or, and if you do want to pursue it, just be aware that the, the lifespan of the business will probably be similar to the lifespan of the need you have with those with your children. Yeah. So that's probably the main thing, yeah. Good advice. Uh, thanks, Wendy. Mm-hmm. Now, is there any other sort of um, advice or, or sort of suggestions you'd have for for parents out there struggling with feeding their children that we haven't covered so far? I think it is a whole family journey. So I was just looking at stats the other day and just the overall fruit and veg intake in Australia is so low. Um, And men, like the dads are the worst, like and quite often they're the ones sabotaging the eating habits of the whole family. So only 3% of men have the recommended fruit and veg intake a day in Australia, which is just horrifyingly low. And I used to get so many um, emails from distressed mums who were doing their best to try and feed kids really well. And they would go to the table and dad would sit there and go, I don't eat this, I don't eat that. Oh, you know, so the fussy little kids had grown up into be fussy fathers and they were modelling that for the kids. So it's really a whole commitment from the whole family because, you know, dad can let everyone down and I just don't understand that behaviour because my attitude, I would always write back and I would be like, well, tell dad to suck it up (laughs) because (laughs) it just means he wasn't eating delicious food when he was a child. Like maybe he was given the bumps of broccoli and that type of thing. So there is a whole range of recipes that are easy to make that are really tasty, that he can get involved in, um, that can reset the food habits for the family. So it really is a journey for the whole family to take together. And it's really fun, you know, like exploring food and flavour and cultures and different types and styles of food is a really enjoyable thing for a family to do together. So it's really worthwhile. Definitely. And, yeah, reaping the Mm -hmm. rewards later on too. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks ever so much, Wendy. It's been fascinating picking your brains on this because it is such an important area. Um, how can people reach out to you if they want to get in touch, just say hi or to look up some of the stuff that um, you've done around recipes? Well, probably the easiest way is to just Google veggie smugglers um, because people spell it all different ways. But um, you will get to me really easily just Googling it. Um, and, you know, or you can Google veggie smugglers chicken sausage roll. That's like a huge, hugely popular search term. And that'll just take you straight to that recipe that um, we were discussing earlier, which is 
the most popular and useful and successful recipe. <laughs> all the recipes from pretty much all my books are online. Um, it, the e-books are still available, but people have to contact me directly to get those, but people are welcome to do that. Brilliant. Um, yeah, so the Facebook, yeah, the Facebook page is still there too, so they can always find me that way as well. Yeah. Well, it's um, been a wonderful service you've provided to countless mums and dads, Wendy. Uh, I think uh, you deserve a big pat on the back. And um, and hopefully it's uh, something that, you know, the children that have um, experienced these recipes carry on into the, the next generation too. So I think you've done a wonderful job. Great. Thanks, Rich. No, I'm really pleased that the recipe worked well for you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, thanks ever so much for joining us on the show. It's been, It's been great having this chat. You're welcome. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you're inspired to try some of Wendy's meals. I've put links to her top three recipes of all time on the website, thedadmindset.com. Before you go, though, if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd really love it if you could take a minute to give a review on whatever platform you consume your podcasts. It really helps. As always, if you have any questions or want to reach out to me, my email is rich at thedadmindset.com. That's all from me for now. I hope you have a great week and in the meantime, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. <laughs>